Paulie Lovejoy, drummer, musical director, composer, broadcaster, DJ, and NASA collaborator. Thank you for joining me here on the Creative Blood Experience. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Where are you? Give us a visual. I am in Edinburgh. It's show day and I'm right by Edinburgh Castle. So I've been looking at that and just been researching loads of facts about the castle. Give us one. These, these could be factoids. We're up for that. It's where they have the oldest crown jewels. Um, it's also where they filmed... What's that annoying show that everyone loves? Downton Abbey. <laughs> no? <laughs> Sorry. Very controversial. Um, <laughs> no, they filmed lots of stuff. Game of Thrones is the massive one. Oh, Game of Thrones, Harry okay. Potter, Mary Queen Ooh, of Scots. But Downton Abbey, so I couldn't have been further from the reality. I travel with so many Americans and I remember telling them like, oh, like if you want to like get into something that's like really like, you know, old school, like British kind of vibe, you should check out Downton Abbey. They're like, Downtown Abbey? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should do a spin-off of Downtown Abbey where she's just like, for the first time in the big yeah. city downtown just like, nice just, pounding the streets yeah i feel like abby maybe's even from la okay and she, she's from downtown la <laughs> which is mad because that song downtown definitely wasn't about la so good Petula everyone's Clark. waiting for you Petula clark oh legend i need some vocal lessons right we good golden Let me give you a heads up on what is actually supposed to be happening. What I have here in my hands is a deck of 50 cards. Each card contains a question designed to reveal how you have navigated your creative experience so far, Paulie. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to select 10 of them. Neither of us will know what they are until you've chosen them. And each question has been created based on the thousands of conversations that we've had with the very best in the creative industries. This experience has been designed to not only give us an insight into your process and your journey so far, but also to reveal those priceless nuggets our listeners can take into their own creative lives. Do you have any questions for me? Um, no, I'm really looking forward to this. Cool, cool. All right. So whilst I shuffle the cards for you, I'm going to introduce you to our listeners, drummer to drummer. Give me some sort of drum roll, some something, so I can take this. Let's do it. Right, Paulie, you were born Paul Stanley Mackenzie and grew up in Edmonton, North London, here in the UK, which is where, against the backdrop of your parents' reggae and R&B records, your cousin taught you to play the drums. I love it. Despite being kicked out of your school's music classes, something you and I have in common, no joke, and not even particularly wanting to be a musician, you were crowned UK's Young Drummer of the Year aged just 15. By your 20s, you'd auditioned for Damon Albarn and spent five years touring all over the world and playing packed out arenas and stadiums. But the session musician life just wasn't for you, which is why you then decided to quit and escape to Paris to try and find what it was that you really wanted to do. That was short-lived, as somehow Damon and your mum persuaded you back on stage to join the legendary Bobby Womack on tour. Is it right that it was him who gave you the name Paulie Lovejoy? But yeah, I moved to Paris for a little bit. I was kind of escaping and just trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And um, went back to the UK to work with Bobby, Uncle Bobby, rest in peace, for his headline Glastonbury show. And uh, before we went on stage, 
I kind of like just snuck into his dressing room just to just say hi. I knocked on his door and by this time like, we'd been in a rehearsal studio for two weeks maybe and I don't think he ever knew my name. He'd always just call me Youngin. But like, hey Youngin, speed up the beat. Nice. <laughs> hey Youngin, slow it down. You know, that, that was just his vibe. Yeah. And on this occasion when I knocked and kind of peeked in he was like, yo, Youngin, come in. So I was like, oh hi Uncle Bobby, just saying like, good luck, have a great show. Um, like, yeah man, you know, when, when you playing man, I, I see you man, you got that love. You got that joy. Love joy. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, love joy. Uh, he just kept on saying it. And I was like, uh, okay, cool. But it, that, and that's all he said. And I walked out and I was like, cool, I guess that's my name from now on. <laughs> what a gift. Yeah, it wasn't long after that that he passed away. So I feel like having that name that you gave me is a way of continuing his legacy. Incredible. Incredible. Well, it's not over yet. In your career, you've collaborated and shared the stage with far too many names to mention here. But let's just drop a few. Gorillaz, XX, Samfer, Alicia Keys and Kindness. And you are now, according to The Guardian, one of the hundred best drummers in the world. It's no surprise that you've become one of the world's most sought after musical directors for the likes of FK Twigs, Jamie XX and most recently Harry Styles' historic Love on Tour. In between all this, you've somehow found the time to release four EPs under the moniker Paulie the PSM, showcasing a breathtaking range of musical genres from R&B to industrial house right through to ambient. We can't not mention your relationship with the US Space Administration, aka NASA, and your ongoing mission to open up space to black and marginalized kids. In between all this, you've just completed your first solo headline tour in the US and Hong Kong, and you continue to host a weekly radio show, and you post a weekly Monday meditation on Instagram. I really think that this quote of yours sums you up wholeheartedly. This is where you said, first and foremost, I'm an artist, which means I need to be doing things that are thought provocative and essentially entertaining. If you don't leave that space feeling entertained or more free, or healed in some way, then I don't think I've done my job. Paulie, how on earth we've managed to slide into your schedule is a mystery, but we have, and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Creative Blood Experience. I feel all warm and tingly. It's uh, it's mad kind of hearing that back. Love it. <laughs> right. I'd be really excited to ask you absolutely all 50 of these, genuinely, but, Paulie, I do need to inform you that there are two wild cards in the deck that contain slightly punchier questions and a dealer's choice, which means I get to ask you a question created specifically for you. Can I pass on questions? Totally. How's you can work? pass on one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just yeah, I'll come and get you in your sleep if you pass. No, I'm joking. No, it's cool. It's cool. You can <laughs> handle all of these. I'm not worried. Pick 10. Any 10. I've shuffled them. They're all here. All right, we're going... Can you add the countdown theme tune in at this point? Absolutely, we're going to need to. Bum, 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 bum. Check on, check on. Deca, deca, boom. They're making like they exactly. used to. That's for, for sure. sure. Yeah, three from the top, three from the bottom, okay. three from the middle. Yeah. And one that's just your choice from anywhere. Cool. The good news for myself and the listeners, and hopefully for you, is that you've actually pulled a dealer's choice. But I'm not going to start with that. I am going to start with a biggie. You ready for this one? Don't know if I am. 
right, question number one. What are you like to work with? What am I like to work with? I'd like to think working with me, I'd love it to be challenging. I'd love for you to be like, damn, that was, yeah, that pushed me in the right ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's nice to work with someone that's like easy to work with, but I don't think that's always the best for your growth or development. And even if you're not open to it, I'm still going to lean into why you're not open to it. I want it to be challenging, but in a good way. Like it needs to, I think the word challenging doesn't need to be negative. We don't even need to specify that it needs to be challenging in a good way. It just needs to be challenging. Like work doesn't need to be easy. I don't think that's work. (laughs) Otherwise it's not work. It's called work for a reason. Let's sort of think about it in like a, you know, in a musical context, right? If I was to show up at a session with you, do you have a game plan? Are you like, okay, right. This is what's happening. Or do you just sort of let things flow a little bit? My plan is just to be as human and to make you feel as human as possible. If I don't bring out the best of you in the session, then I haven't done my job. I think Socrates was great as an example of this because he was the teacher who said that he leads learning out. The idea that everything that you know is within you and we can just bring it out of you. So I'm like, how do we do that? That's my vibe in a session. How do I bring out greatness every single time so like I like trying to make people laugh but also just being like really honest and vulnerable if I'm going through something like I'll share it and I'll just be like oh you know what I had a good cry earlier and people be like what's going on are you okay dude can I help and it's like no 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 I'm okay but I was just being honest like yeah this thing happened and (laughs) so yeah just being human and being relatable that's that's my little trick amazing okay that's a biggie kicked off with a biggie okay next one cool What's one piece of advice that you have for someone who may be struggling to get their career off the ground? My best advice is stop looking for advice. Um, Mic drop. I spent a lot of time asking everyone, how do you do this? How do you get into the industry? How do you be a better musician, better this, better that? You know, And essentially the best advice I've always had has come from within. It's come from me separating myself and meditating and going deep within myself to find an actual meaning for what my life is supposed to be. And a lot of people will advise you based on their own ideas, which come from insecurities or experiences that may be good or bad. And I think you taking on all of that would not be real to you. You're just going to become some sort of version of the individual that you're asking. Advise yourself. Be your own advisor. It's 2023. Like, there's so much out there. If you look for advice from everyone, you'll just constantly be spinning in circles. No, there's no right or wrong way. The only way is to do. And as long as you're doing stuff, that's the best thing you can ever do. So my advice is stop looking for advice. I'm going to be very controversial and say, you just gave the best advice. Damn it. <laughs> well done. <laughs> right. Next up. How do you stay motivated and inspired when you hit a creative block or rut? I uh, do things that are so the antithesis of what I'm actually trying to do. So if I'm trying to make a song and I'm struggling with that, then I'll go for a run. Or if I'm trying to think of like a cool segue in a set list and it's not really coming to me, then I'll read a book or like a poem or something. And I think just drawing upon 
different creative narratives and different creative outlets, I think that helps me to solve internal problems. But you can't ever minimize the amazing effect of endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin. Like Those things will help you in ways that they don't really teach you. So yeah, there's definitely power in like changing your scenery, going into nature, taking off my shoes and getting grounded on earth and taking a deep breath. I've got asthma. So even just like remembering to breathe is really important. It's a big one. Even in this moment, I'm like, wow, I just realized I hadn't really taken a deep breath for a moment. It's like, okay, wow. Okay, wow. Oxygen can heal and clear a lot of these blockages that we have. So take yourself out of your situation, work on things that are the absolute opposite of what you're trying to solve. Get in some nature and take your shoes off. That's what I would do. Amazing. Right. Who is your dream collaborator and why? Um, Dead or alive? Dead or alive, big time. It's a tough one because they say you should never meet your heroes, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of working on an album, like a revolutionary album between like real like revolutionary artists. So like there was a rumor that Bob Marley and Fela Kuti were working on a record together. Oh. And like, I'd love to be in the mix for that. I think that's the kind of stuff that would change the world for generations to come. What is it about them for you? They were both like Pan-African artists they spoke so much about the idea of rebuilding a better world for the diaspora and it's taken a long time for african artists and caribbean artists to really see eye to eye i think it just could have been incredible for that to have happened 40 years ago but i'd love to be like a conduit in the mix in that dream collaborator now though someone like i don't know someone i grew up like listening to someone like skepta or like um just to make it fun, I don't know, someone like Skepta or JME or Jamma, like Grandma, those are like my heroes. <laughs> just to like, just to really turn off it. Yeah, says. exactly. Okay. <laughs> Skepta, Paulie Lovejoy, Bob Marley and Fela Kuti in the same room. Yeah. I mean, I'm open to everything. And I think that's the magic of life. Like, like we spoke about some of the stuff that I've done. And that's, that's the magic. It's like, yeah, I've made an ambient record, but this, you know, six months before that, I released an EP called Secret Life of a Bad Man. And it's like <laughs> these two very different worlds, but the same person. I love that we don't have to be confined to any boxes anymore. All right. It's a 180, but for all the right reasons. Imagine all those, you imagine, wait, 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 but have you got WhatsApps coming through on your laptop? Um, maybe. So it literally show day. Everyone starts messaging at the same time. Everyone basically wakes up at the same time. Yeah, of course. Like, hey, have you thought about, because Tina Turner died. So I was like, we should put um, some Tina Turner in the playlist before we go on stage. Oh, amazing. And yeah. now everyone's chiming in like, yeah, but what about this song? What about this? I'm like, yeah. I'm on an interview thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm back. Back in the room. Right. Okay. How good are you at sniffing bullshit? I'd like to think I'm good at sniffing out bullshit, but also I always see the best in people. But even when, what's the expression? You can't bullshit a bullshitter. I love that one. I mean, I'm from Edmonton and like, uh, I'm not going to ever say I was like some street hood kid because I wasn't, but he's definitely around enough stuff that you know when things are real. Like being from somewhere like it teaches you how to see 
things that may escalate or things that um, are real from fake very quickly. You can decipher what is about to happen in any situation very quickly from a young age. So those basic life skills that I got from like traveling home from school, getting on a bus, you know, I think those are things that you take into your work life. But my whole thing is life isn't, life is short, enjoy it. And I'm never going to try and create a situation out of nothing. So yeah, if someone's bullshitting, I'm like, cool, (laughs) do you? (laughs) As long as it's not hurting anyone. If anything, it's just hurting themselves, you know, poison yourself all you want. As long as I can feel out what it is and not have to engage at a deeper level, then yeah, it's it's all good. Right, I've got another one for you. What is a risk that you've taken that changed your life? Maybe moving to New York in 2012. I didn't know what was going to come of that. What were the circumstances around that? 2012 was a really fun year. It was the Olympics in the UK, and I was involved in a bunch of different initiatives around that. So I ran with the torch and also like did Africa Express with Damon and, and that was part of the cultural Olympiad and then I kind of just needed a challenge and I wanted to grow. Why did you choose New York specifically? It just felt like the centre of the universe yeah. like all the big labels were there at the time I felt like the music industry was still thriving there yeah all the cool bands that I loved from there I was very much into like um, Warhol and the factory and I was doing lots of research on how Basquiat came up and you yeah. know, it's that whole thing, go with a dollar and a dream and try and live out your version of the American dream. And yeah, I had that in many ways. Did you know anyone there? Did you go knowing where you were going to stay or anything like that? Uh, one of my best friends, Chris, he's from the UK, bought a house in Brooklyn. So I lived with him for, for a bunch of time. I ended up in Bedford-Stuyvesant, which is this amazing pocket in Brooklyn it's very black. And at that time, it was like pre the gentrification of bed And it was so community orientated. Like you'd walk down the street, everyone would be like, hey, good morning. And they'd know that you weren't from there. So they'd be like, oh, come around, come to our house and we'll cook for you. And you'd find out that this person's like an incredible chef and they've been cooking for years. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah. And my nephew used to rap with Biggie. And they used to rap on that street corner. And then you'd be like, what? And then you just walk past the bodega and you see like a guy who's dressed in really cool clothes. And you say, hey, that's really cool fit. And they'd be like, yeah, man, I'm you know, an up and coming designer. Next thing you know, that's Kirby Jean Raymond from Pierre Moss. It's like, it, it was a really interesting time to be in Brooklyn just because everything was just, uh, it's just a bunch of kids trying to figure out life in their own ways. Um but yeah, it was cool being the English kid in that world who looked like I was from there, but they kind of knew I wasn't. My friend, a good friend, Khalil, he was moving over there at the same time. So he was like, oh, we should start a club night. And I was like, it sounds like it could be a vibe. And, you know, we did this thing called Back to Life for like three or four years. And it was just like, we created our own version of community. And New York was a really special moment in my life. So yeah, big risk at the time for me because I really didn't know what I was doing creatively, especially I didn't know what I was doing for like money. But um, it, it honestly worked out. It was the most liberating moment of my life. This is a mad side note, but I can't not mention this. Can you just mention full circle back to Times Square for Mother's Day <laughs> and what you did 
because I saw this on um, on your Instagram stories, and I was like, you absolutely get son of the year for this. You got to say it because just because it's so mad. If you think yeah. about that, was the biggest risk you took. You went to New York and then cut to yeah. 2023. Go for it. You're up. Yeah, literally 10 years later. So I had a show, my first like solo headline show in New York. We did two because it sold out. And um, my mum came and she was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back to the hotel. Got an early flight. I was like, but wait, you have to go for dinner. I was just, I knew exactly what the plan was. But my manager, Kelly, like sorted out a car for us to go to Times Square. And my mum was like, this isn't looking like dinner. This is looking like Torresville. This is looking like Times Square. And she was getting more and more irritated. And we were like driving, 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 driving. You know what the roads are like in New York? Mental. Stop and start. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and eventually we get to Times Square and it's like heaving with people. And um, I hadn't even seen it myself. But earlier that week, Amazon had given us the green light on getting this billboard made for the radio show that I do. So I was like, I hope it's there. I think it's there. Oh, so you didn't actually know if it would be? I had... I had, like someone sent me a picture of where yeah. it was, but I hadn't actually seen it. So I was like, yeah. I, hope, I, hope, I genuinely hope it's there. Um, so we jump out of the taxi. My mom's like in her hills and she's been in her hills for hours. Like she's like upset. She's like, where are you taking me? And literally as she's about to like give up and like disown me, I was like, look up. And I pulled out my camera and I could see it happening like live in front of me it's massive billboard just my face with vibrations radio and yeah her reaction of just being like what how did you do this <laughs> what's going on You're... in times square in times square yeah, yeah yeah it's mad having a billboard in times square is like something that a lot of people dream of and that stuff's not possible for people from where i'm from that, that stuff's not real so the connection the line back to the risk taking yeah. i know there would have been pivotal connections that you made there that form the line back to that moment in Times Square. Yeah, you're right. There's a very clear through line of being in New York, meeting someone in a Soho house eight years later, then being like, I remember you and I think you could be good for this thing. And then it's like a billboard moment that tied in with doing my own solo show, which is based off of the promoter that I worked on when I was doing my club night. So yeah, like all these things. There you go are connected you can map it out 100 percent easily easily yeah i was also thinking as well the soho house isn't the game changer and the new york isn't the deal breaker it's going somewhere where nobody knows you where you can still do what you think you need to get done that's sort of the the messaging in that question genuinely do you know what i mean yeah you can't be a prophet in your own town that's why i love it there Right, another biggie. How do you approach money conversations? Um, when you didn't have people speaking on your behalf, like how did you how yeah. did you navigate that? That's a biggie for anyone and everyone. Cautiously, and I probably just mirrored the same energy that whoever started the conversation. So if, if someone kind of approaches it in a very sort of bullish way, then I'd probably be a bit defensive and not deal with it particularly well necessarily i don't know i don't think it's ever been my forte because the money for me was never the thing that i was focused on so i was often like happy to do it for free there's been gigs that i've done where i've been offered money and i haven't invoiced to this day no and just because like i love what they do so much and me being on that stage with them taught me so much 
And I knew it was going to be so rewarding in other ways. Like There was no need to invoice. There was no need to make it into some sort of financial transaction. I think so much of what we do is so transactional and it shouldn't be. It should be about care and love and feeling human. And I think as long as you start creating like currency for what we do as creatives, then it switches the dynamic. It makes everything very instantly product-based. And uh, I don't want to see myself as a product. I want to see myself as a human. I don't want you to feel like you can just purchase my time. No, you can work with me and... And engage. Yeah. It's never been about the money for me. Um, So that's why I'm like, I'm happy not to have the money conversation, for better or for worse. doesn't work for everyone. I get that. And maybe yeah, that's coming. That's like a privileged thing to say. I don't know. But I've just never been good at it. And that's just my, that's my truth. Amazing. And where possible, get an agent or a manager to deal with it on your behalf. There you go. That's, I'm so happy for you that you've got that, by the way. <laughs> All right. Next up, I've got a dealer's choice for you. Um, are you good? Yeah. People are asking about the set list. Okay. So are we adding Tina? What's the deal? What are the top three that people are going for? I'm saying Proud Mary's got to be there. Oh, killer. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's got to be Proud Mary. Surely. Yeah. I'm back with you. Okay. Um, cool, cool. All good. Right. <laughs> Paulie, dealer's choice. Only this year you managed to squeeze in your first headline solo tour and during the shows you get right in there and you dance with the crowd, you hand them flowers and you even ask them to turn to each other and say, I believe in you. So my question is, I'm really curious to know where does that sense of wanting to nurture and heal your audience come from? Both why are you inclined that way, but also how that merges with how you see your responsibility as an artist? Servitude. Like when I'm on that stage, I'm serving you. You've taken these hours out of your day to be in this space with me. I now owe it to you to give you something to remember, something that is hopefully going to be special and healing. And um, I'd love for you to leave with some sort of hope. And if that's just taking that flower and being able to like look at it and be like, wow, like nature or um, someone said to me, like, this is the first time I've received flowers. I'm like, like that blew my mind when someone said that to me at one of these shows. And that wasn't even my intention, but like just to know that you're in a safe space to receive those flowers. And then the person next to you saying to you, like, I believe in you, someone that you've never even spoken to before, like speaking life into someone. Like we should do more of that. I had that when I was in bedside, just walking down the street. Hey, man, how you doing? What's going on? Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Like, just you, you take for granted what we have in our in our worlds in our day to day because you don't see what like these kids are going through. You don't know what people are going through when they go home. They might not have a, a traditional setup with parents and even like a bed to sleep in. You know, so it's like. I just want people who come to these shows to feel like they're a part of something and to know that there are other people there in this world that they can feel at one with. Yeah, it's all about community. Um, 
I think that might answer your question. It answers the question. I also think when you look at somebody and that person doesn't know you, doesn't know anything about your day, what you've got going on, where you're from, mm. it is so powerful, I'm sure, for someone to look you in the eye and say, I believe in you. Can you imagine yeah. what people have gone on to do off the back of that? Well, just to live. Just the fact that someone might live and not feel alone is enough. And I think that's what I live for in these shows, in these moments, just to make people feel alive, just to feel something. Because I think we've all had like versions of depression. Feeling numb is the worst thing in the world or being numb is the worst thing in the world. But to feel something, to be in a space post-COVID, yeah. post, post-Panny, yeah. like where we can actually be in the same space together. I'm like, that is really special and really important that we don't take it for granted. Create a safe space for people to listen to music and to experience life. That's that's what I live for. Nothing I can say to that, is there? It's like fucking over and out. Music, it's massive. <laughs> right, second to last. Who's the person that challenges you the most? I work with um, a young woman called Audrey, who's like my social media manager. She pushes me in ways that, I don't know, other people would think it's just nonsense, like it's just not a big deal. But she really brings out the best in me in ways that I couldn't imagine. So like she pushed me to have a TikTok. I was like, ah, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Like I'm a millennial, like I'm not Gen Z at all. I'm like, TikTok is not for me. The day I have to join TikTok is the day that I quit music. That like I was that guy. Audrey was like, no, 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 you have to be on TikTok. Someone like that in my team has been really helpful to like bring the best out of me and to challenge me. Out of your comfort zone. Oh, way out of my comfort zone. What is it about TikTok? What is that for you? Just being stubborn and being afraid of change, I guess. Being a Luddite, <laughs> being a millennial. Um, but then I realised that anything that helps you to connect with people at scale in the right way. Like For me, I, I'm like, if I can show my more human side through this platform, then incredible. So Audrey was like, what do you love doing? And I'm like, ice cream. Ice cream is my thing. She's like, cool. We're going to film you going and getting ice cream. I'm like, okay. And then instantly it was like, wow, I feel like I'm just doing human stuff, but now in a very visible way. It shows people that I'm not this crazy, unapproachable celebrity artist, rock star. Like, it's just like, no, he's just a human. And I love that. And it's like, it helps me to tell my story in a very authentic unedited unfiltered way you being you just being yourself yeah jumping on beds when i get to a hotel like just real shit <laughs> favorite flavor favorite of all time yeah it's probably rum and raisin but i'm such a basic bitch i love vanilla i love a good <laughs> bougie madagascar sort mm. of like you know what i'm getting into oh. right now ice cream sandwiches that is 80s my friend i'm gonna bring it back <laughs> Right, last one. We're up. Right. Oh, this is a big one-ish, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing your industry in the next five to 10 years? And how do you plan to address it? Wow. Or do you um, even? How do you feel about it? I think the thing that's going to interrupt the flow of the industry is not having 
adequate support for doctors and nurses being sick and not being able to pay for your prescription because it's going to be astronomical because of like mad pharmaceutical industry nonsense or not being able to go and see a GP because they'll be striking because they're not getting paid enough. I think that's going to be the thing that will be the major disruptor because if you don't have health, mental or physical, to go into the studio, then you're not going to be able to make music. If you don't have health to like get out of bed, then you're not going to be able to write a song or create a show or whatever else it is that you do creatively. So yeah, those are the things that will disrupt our industry. How do I plan on solving that? I'm not sure I, I have an idea of how to solve that. Maybe recommend us supporting unions like the British Medical Association. Um, and yeah, not just going private. I don't think that's the way. Probably not the answer you was looking for. I love it. You just took me on such a journey and I was like, I, I think I actually want to mention that I want to make it music specific. And then you brought it around because I understand like the connection. You're right. If artists aren't well enough and they also don't have support, the effects are enormous. Yeah. They're enormous. Yeah. That was a response I actually wasn't expecting. Believe it or not, 50 minutes before you need to be in the lobby, you've answered 10 questions. Before you head off, is there anything you'd like to plug or tell our listeners about? Um, I'm plugging support your local trade unions. I'm plugging my TikTok. I'm plugging my Instagram, my YouTube series, which is called Paulie's Ice Cream Chronicles. And I think the final plug is just for everyone who can hear my voice to know that there is a purpose for your life. And I just want to encourage everyone to find some time for themselves to dig deeper internally to find that thing that can help make this world a better place. Not just for everyone around you, but for yourself. Yeah, that's what I'm plugging. Self-healing. Done. Paulie, before we go, we need to know what was the Tina song that was decided for the show tonight? Um, I've gone for Proud Mary. I think you'll get the crowd going. It's a banger. Yeah, it pays homage in the right way. And maybe we end the whole show when we come off stage with Simply the Best. That just came to me. I'm going to send that as a message now. <laughs> get on it. Thanks a million. This is meant to pass it on. Thank you for sharing. It really means a lot. Long may it continue. Exactly. And long live Madagascar vanilla ice cream. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you don't miss a single drop of the Creative Blood experience by subscribing and following the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with a fellow creative. Let's get these conversations out there and into the ears of those who need to hear them. This show was created in partnership with the brilliant humans here at Creative Blood and Scenery Studios. Thanks for listening. 